All right, so this is the third week and in this installment. And this week, we're going to focus on, you guessed it, a couple weeks ago. We, we led with two gentlemen. We led with Abram, and we, and we led with Jonah. And now we're going to um, round things out with two women. And so this week, we're going to focus on Hannah, Hannah's prayer. Um, and um, we'll pick it up again next week. So in week one, we led with Abram and his altars, right? We talked about um, memorializing our prayers and encounters with God and returning to those um, altars with reverence, remembering God, returning to God. Week two, we talked about Jonah, and we talked about how um, our failure to pray can get us in predicaments, but then the power of prayer um, and fasting to um, bring us out of those predicaments. And so we tracked the life of Jonah and watched how um, God delivered him um, in accordance to his wholehearted prayer. And so this week, we're going to focus in on Hannah's fervent prayer. And so Pastor Karen's sermon was the ideal bridge into the cleach. Uh, but of course, we're going to lay a bit of a foundation first. And so what I want to talk about first is the centrality of the body, the centrality of the body and prayer, and to, and to look at our body as an equal partner in our prayer life, um, as, a, as a necessary partner. And so we we're to pray with all of our heart and all of our mind, right? We to uh, attune our ears to the voice of God, to open our mouths. We might bow down in reverence to God. We might bow our heads. We might fold our hands. We close our eyes. Um, we might prostrate ourselves. Tears might fall from our eyes, but our bodies are central to our prayers and they are equal partners with our heart, mind, and soul in our prayers. And so I just want to hold a frame of the centrality of the body in prayer. And so if you'll turn with me to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, we're going to return to a scripture that I think was the central passage for this year's prayer retreat. Shout out to the prayer ministry. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14 through 16, verses 14 through 16. Somebody let me know when they're there with an amen or an amen. Second Chronicles chapter 7, beginning at verse 14. Are we there, family? Amen. Okay, excellent. Um, would someone like to read those three verses, 14 through 16, for us? Yeah. If Mike, here come the mic. We go. Thank you. If my people who were called by my name crumble themselves, spread, and seek my face, and turn from their worthy grave, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be opened, and my ears attended to the prayers offered in his place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name remain there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there in that version. Thank you. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and what? Seek my face. Seek my face. 
then I will hear and heal and will forgive. Verse 15, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive, right? Verse 16, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. So in these verses, God meets us with language we can relate to in this whole body communication, the eyes, the heart, the face, the ears of God, right? This whole body communication and interaction. Um, God is lifting up in language of prayer and communion with us. And we will notice the same parts of the body, the eyes, the mouth, the heart, etc. when we dive into Hannah's narrative. So the centrality of the body, hold that frame and also hold that scripture in Second Chronicles. Verse 14, again, God says, seek my face right after prayer, as if seeking the face of God is a plausible definition of prayer, to seek my face, right? Ian Bounds, the author of the devotional, The Power of Prayer, uh, writes this, quote, the attitude of the body counts much in prayer, end quote. The attitude of the body counts much in prayer. He goes on to write, quote, every fiber of a person should join in the prayer exercise, end quote. Every, every fiber, every fiber of our being should join in the prayer exercise. So the body as an equal partner in prayer. Also interesting is the definition of seek, right? Seek, you're searching, right? It's an attempt, it's an attempt on it. <laughs> Not a guarantee, it's an attempt on it, right? We're attempting to find something. We're desiring to obtain or to achieve something. And so, and so there's no guarantees that we're gonna get it right every time, right? But we're still seeking, right? We're, we're, we're honestly seeking. Um, we're desiring to obtain. Seeking the way of God, seeking the will of God, seeking to hear the voice of God through prayer. And that's why I love that it's called a prayer practice, right? We don't get it right every time but we can still seek after it. We can, we can still aspire to it, right? Seek my way, seek my will. Um, prayer practice, in my opinion, is a journey. It's a journey, right? It's a journey. Sometimes it's winding. Sometimes it's not a straight path. When I kneel to pray, I just hear from God immediately and I'm clear. We gotta seek it out, right? Takes a little bit of work, right? Takes a little bit of determination. And so with this, I want to explore a variety of models of prayer, which we've begun to do. Abraham did his building and his revisiting of altars, right? Jonah cried out to God from the pit. And the pit can, can be however it relates to your life. The pit of um, death, the pit of suicidal ideation, the pit of depression, the pit of grief. Um, from the belly of Sheol, right? Jonah cries out to God um, when he has nothing else to do and no place else to go, right? After putting prayer off. And so Hannah presents to us another model of prayer, which Pastor Hannah alluded to in her prayer. Um, 
And that's the model of silent, open-hearted, fervent prayer. And that's what we're going to explore on this evening. So it's Hannah then who goes to the house of prayer and engages in this silent, open-hearted prayer where she brings the whole of herself and prays from a place of deep anguish. Praise from a place of deep anguish. So silent, open-hearted prayer as a typology or as a model, I would argue, is not often discussed. Right? We talk about people who cried out, <laughs> right? David sound, right? Um, people who, um, you know, fell on their knees at, at the altar or whatever, um, you know, whatever audible prayer was uttered. But this is about a silent um prayer that pours forth from her heart. And so I want to talk about sort of this underreported model of prayer and really center on it tonight. Just you and God, just you and Jesus. Sometimes we don't even have the language, right? The pain is so deep. Sometimes we can't even give it language. There are no words, but there's something about sitting still in it and just praying from a place of anguish or just sitting there and holding the quiet right? Um, I love these three scripture. And actually, maybe I'll, I love the, an image. And so if you, if you draw a triangle, I love three different passages. First is Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God, right? And then Psalm 37, seven, be still and wait. A word we don't like, be still and wait. So this is our be still. You can write be still in the center of that triangle. So um, one vertex, Psalm 46, 10, another Psalm 37, seven. And the final one is Micah seven, seven. Look up or look to the Lord and wait, wait. But this is an image that I hold when I think of this silent, open-hearted prayer. My gaze is upwards to God, right? I'm acknowledging the sovereignty of God. Be still and know that I am God, and then I'm waiting on God. There's a, there's a surrender inherent to waiting, right? Beyond my control, it's beyond anything that I can do. All I can do is sit, and wait on God, okay? So that just helps give us sort of a contextual frame around this type of prayer. But I wanna move on to um, conditional prayers. Conditional prayers. Conditional statement to um, discuss known factors or hypothetical situations and their consequences. So a conditional statement contains a conditional clause, the if clause, and then a consequence, right? If then is one type of conditional statement. And so if you're like me, then, you see what I did there? If you're like me, then you're thinking, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? Mm. Oh, no. What if God doesn't answer my prayer in the way I want it answered in the way I expect it to be answered in the time frame I think it should be answered. God, this is urgent. 
I needed this yesterday, a week ago, a year, 10 years ago. Been there, Sister Connie says, right? And so if you're like me, then you might have a propensity to pray a conditional prayer. God, if you do this, if you deliver me from this right here, if you move on this today in this way, then there. I'll, someone said, I'll do right. I'll act right. I'll fall in line. I won't do it again. Thank you, Sister Connie. I won't do it again. I too have prayed this type of conditional prayer and if-then prayer, right? But God didn't always answer in the way I suggested to God. The way I thought, right, in my finite mind it should be answered or when, when it should be answered, right? I called on God for help. On this one, this one thing I asked, this one thing, one thing, God, right? And seemingly God did nothing. Or God was late, real late, egregiously late, right? Mr. Connie says, been there. God doesn't immediately answer or God doesn't answer in the way we thought or in the right way, in our minds. <laughs> and so our request, our, de our desired answer to our request, you know, in our minds is so critical. It's, it's urgent. And so any denial, any delay, any variation from how we thought, then I, I can't trust God or I walked away from God or I fell away from God. This is a wound, this is a fracture, this is a breach, God. I don't know if I can trust you. And doubt creeps in, right? And that's a slippery slope, right? It's a slippery slope to falling away from God, doubt. We'll come back to that. And so we may pray a prayer that's conditional, an if-then prayer. Well, we already answered the rhetorical question, which you don't have to answer. But when was the last time you prayed a conditional prayer? You don't, that's, that's rhetorical. You don't have to answer that. So you don't have to gesture. You don't have to tell anybody. When was the last time you prayed a conditional prayer? Has anyone prayed like this lately? rhetorical friends that means you don't you don't need to respond you don't need to gesture with your body we're talking about the centrality of the body in the prayer but not answer don't answer the rhetorical question so as I sat with this and this is a real point of pain for people so I'm going to hold it sacredly right many I would argue have fallen away from God or experienced distance from God because God did not answer a prayer in the way we, they thought God should, okay? And so as I was sitting with this, this came to my spirit. My trouble with conditional prayers centers on the if part, on the condition clause, the ifs, 
the if, okay? The if leaves space for that. If you can, God, right? Then I, or it leaves space for us to doubt not only God, but ourselves. Maybe God has called us to do something. If I can do this, if I should do this, but the if creates space for doubt. And so as I sat with it, the if language kind of just, you know, took me on this train of thought. If is the language Satan uses to tempt Jesus. If you are the son of God. Preacher Tempe, Pastor James, the term is bread, right? And to and turn his stones into bread, right? And, and Satan's, uh, Satan comes back with it in almost a cadence-like fashion. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, tempting, taunting, this if language. Same thing with Jesus on the cross. And Matthew's account, Pastor Byer used the same line. If you are the son of God, right? Come, thank you, Bible reader, here in row three. Come down from the cross. Again, taunting Jesus. Do we see the problematic nature of the if language? If you are doubting, distant from God. Yes? So there is some doubt inherent to conditional statements, which can bleed into our conditional prayers. And doubt, you know, allows for limited thinking to be built in. And I think we should be hassle, beloved, right? With doubt or our acceptance or our allowance of doubt. Yes, we all doubt, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be proactive to affirmatively uproot it out of our spiritual selves. I believe doubt is a spiritual attack on our faith. Little seed can grow. Plant a little seed of doubt. Watch it grow up real quick. Like the weeds, right? We talked about our minds being mental gardens and anything can grow in those fertile, in that fertile soil of our minds. Doubt can grow, belief can grow. So we need to be vigilant about weeding doubt out. Doubt is a spiritual attack on our faith. Faith is necessary for true prayer. So let's bridge the thought. Doubt then can be a hurdle to our fervent and effective prayer. Right? So doubt not only is an attack on our faith, but it's an attack on our prayer life. Is God. Right? God says, I am that I am. Not if I am. I am. There was no is in that, right? The Exodus narrative with Moses. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the cornerstone. No conditional if there, okay? So let's follow the way God identifies God's self. I am. Our response, God, you are. Not if you are. God, you are a deliverer. God, you are faithful. God, you are trustworthy, right? No ifs, okay? So conditional prayers create space for doubt, number one, but number two, when rooted in doubt, conditional prayers may function to negate God's sovereignty. 
okay, may function to negate God's sovereignty. Conditional prayers may place our thinking, our desires, our time frame, our solution before God's sovereign will. And so anything that sets itself up against God or God's will can be deemed a what? I-D-O-F, an idol, idol is a, an, an idol, yes, exactly, right? So if we're placing our own thought, our own desires, our own will ahead of God, that can quickly become an idol. We touched on that a little bit last week with Jonah, right? And the spirit of idolatry. God told me to go to Nineveh, but I'm gonna go over here instead because this is, this is better, right? So placing what we think is best ahead of what God says is a slippery slope. It's my way or the highway is what we're essentially saying to God. My way or the highway. My way or the highway. And so our thinking, our desires can become idols and this idolatry can be a declining, subtle slope, real subtle. Doesn't announce itself, doesn't call out to you at the public square, just real subtle. This is what I want. This is what I'm gonna do for, for, for now. I'll, I'll get back to you, God. This is what I'm gonna do for this season and then I'll come back to what, what you told me to do a little bit later, right? Just, I'll, I'll get back to you, God, right? Now, not a good time, God. You know, I got, I got the, this list. I, I want to do these things. Now's not a good time. And so as I sat with this, what came to me was, has my prayer request, the way I think it, the way I presented it to God, has my prayer request become an idol? Do I seek God? and desire God's will over and above my request of God. I had to sit, I had to sit down and sip some water with that. Has my prayer request become an idol to the point where if it's not answered the way I think, when I think, how I think, it's now fractured my relationship with God. We had a question, yeah. Here, here comes the mic. Uh, I was thinking about that, and then I, 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 I do for the recount, though, I said the most acceptable way and blew that doubt, Lord. In, in dealing with that doubt is look at how Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego dealt with it, where they was like, uh, their words and, and Daniel. This is, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire for us. And he will deliver the rest out of, of, of your hand. Cool. Oh, can it? Like, there's not. He is known to you, O oh, King, that we will not serve your God for worse than we would hold that image that you have said. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. And, and what you just read has an if statement in it, and we're going to come back to that. So you want to hold that? Okay, because I, I want to take up that if statement. Thank you for that. Beautiful. 
And it recalls Jonah, right? After he lays out his request in the second chapter, Jonah 2.10, the very last verse of that prayer says, deliverance belongs to the Lord. There's a surrender in that. Lord, this is what I'm asking, but <laughs> I, I leave it to you, right? I leave it to you, okay? So there's nothing wrong with asking, right? You can make your ask, but just hold it loosely. Hand it back over to God, right? Surrender that thing. If this is not what you want, right? And Jesus models this for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? If you will take this cup from me, right? But then gives us a yet, yet thy will, not mine be done. That's the posture that guards against that idol of my will, my desire, my way, or the highway, God, right? So you can make your request, but you hold it in a way where there's space for God and God's sovereignty. Your will over mine, God, all day, every day. Thank you for that. Um, shall we continue on? Is that the time? Okay. Um, so God's words instruct us to, you know, love our God with all of our what? All of our heart and our soul and our mind, right? Exactly. In Mark 12. And you all, you all know I love the Psalms. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever forever. And so turning now to 1 Samuel, let's go ahead and dive into this narrative with Hannah. We'll center on Hannah and just a finite portion of her prayer. Let's explore her story. Let's explore her story together. 1 Samuel chapter 1 kicks off the book of 1 Samuel. So I encourage you to read chapters one and chapter two in your own private study time. We're gonna we're gonna begin in and around verse nine. Um, we'll we'll pick up verse eight a little bit, but we find Hannah in anguish over her unanswered prayer for a son. Her despair has caused her to stop eating. Right, on one hand, fasting may indeed come alongside or be prompted by deep grief and despair. We see that in the Bible. On the other hand, fasting coupled with prayer is a powerful change agent. I'm going to say the power of prayer. Power of prayer. And so we find Hannah as one of two wives of Elkanah, right? And so the text indicates that Hannah's husband loved her but she had no children of her own. God had closed her womb. And the second wife, Panina, uh, you know, whom certain translation described as provoking Hannah sore, provoking Hannah to the point of pain, taunting her because Panina had children and Hannah had none. As to make her fret, as to make Hannah fret because she had not born any children. This went on year after year. And so when the family traveled to Shiloh, the house of the Lord, 
Hannah wept and she did not eat. Okay, and so consequently, we find Hannah in despair. Just prior to the start of her text in, in verse 8, Hannah's husband, who loved her, asked her a series of questions. Verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8, her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Question 1. Question 2, why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more important to you than how many? Ten sons. Now, I don't know if you have ever been in, in a place where you are in despair and in anguish, but sometimes you just don't want people in your face. You, you just don't want someone in your face either talking to you or asking you a series of four questions. Hannah did not find comfort in her husband's words, though he tried, right? She's in the pit of anguish. She's in the pit of despair. She's in the pit, presumably, of depression. She stopped eating. There might be some suicidal ideation there, but she's in the pit of expectational grief and despair. She expected God to answer her prayer long ago. Expectational grief is real. This is how I expect my life to look, but it isn't turning out this way. There's a grief attached to that, right? can grieve that. She is in the valley of Sheol, just like Jonah. She's in the pit, right? And so first thing, Hannah has chosen to stop eating. So she is fasting when we find her. And she's, she's fasting at the meal table. People eating all, the family's eating, she's not. That's a hard fast, right? So she's in such despair, where it doesn't even matter. The food has hit her nostrils. She's not eating. She's in despair. Okay? We talk about the centrality of the body in our prayer lives. Fasting is one way we pray with our whole hearts and body. Denying of the flesh, relying upon God, returning to God in this way that, 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 that's rooted in self-denial. Okay, so verse 1 8, also mentioned in, in, in 18 when she begins to eat again, Hannah is fasting, one. And then Hannah goes to pray. Let's pick it up here in verse 9. I'm back in um, chapter 1, verse 9. After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. So Hannah, okay, friend, Hannah is praying. But let's go, let's, let's lean in right here. Let's lean in. She's praying. But notice her employ of her body, right? First, she's in despair, not eating. Then she rises up. She gets up and goes to pray. Still in despair, still crying, she gets up and goes to pray. She was, uh, verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Okay? So 
there's a mind change that prompts a body change. At some point, she decides to get up and go to the house of the Lord. Now they're in Shiloh, okay? They traveled here. And so she knows I'm here in Shiloh. The temple is nearby. The house of prayer is within walking distance. Let me go there. And we talked about the, the, the importance of solitude sometimes in prayer, right? And so she decides in her mind to get up and go to a place where she could get along with God, right? So she goes to the temple. She goes to the house of prayer. She employs her body to get her there, still crying, praying in her heart, only moving her lips. This is a silent, open-hearted prayer. She rises, she leaves the company of her household, she leaves her family, she leaves her loved ones, and she goes and gets along with God, right? She's alone, like Abram was alone. Remember when Abram couldn't receive a word until Lot left his, Lot left his presence and then he heard from God? There's something to that family. There's something to seeking solitude, to seeking God's face. Psalm 27, 8. My heart said, seek God's face. Your face, Lord, will I seek. Got a Bible reader. Your face, Lord, will I seek. She's still in anguish. She's still crying, but she prays through tears. Yes? Tears falling. Nose probably running. You know, who's been there in prayer? You, you didn't think you'd get the tissue box where you started and... You know, our body is a partner in our prayer. Amen. Where can you get along with God? Where is your place of solitude? The bathroom. That was a rhetorical, but yes, the bathroom is a good place. The bath. I, I didn't say it was rhetorical, so I could. The bathroom. Let's go with it. Anybody else? Where is your place of solitude? Prayer. The closet? Yeah, I got a closet I can pray in. Absolutely. The steps? The, the card. The card, right? And you could even drive that thing somewhere and park it. And no one knows where you are. Amen. Roll up those windows. And just have, have you and God, right? Since I moved to Colorado, I enjoy the mountains. I I mean, I feel closer to God, but it's quiet. It's quiet. One of my favorite places to go, and it's beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Out of country. It's fun. So Hannah's prayer is silent. Her lips move, but no sound comes out. And so like I said before, you know, sometimes we don't even have the language. We don't even know where to begin. We don't even know where to begin. What do you even say? Oh, I get myself into this again. Where do, you, where do you even start, right? And so not only are our bodies partners in our prayer, but thank God for the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26, the flight. The Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the spirit makes what? Intercession for us with groaning. 
that cannot be uttered. So friends, even if we are in a silent, open-hearted prayer, the spirit is giving it sound. The spirit is making groaning, right? Which cannot be uttered on our behalf. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Fervent prayer may be still and silent, but we can rely on the Holy Spirit's intercession on our behalf. The gift that Jesus gave us, that God promised us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit helps us do many things, but friends, it helped, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray. While we listen for the still small voice of God. And so Hannah models what it means to fervently pray, right? She walks away to a quiet place and she prays for a while. All right, let's go back to our conditional statements. We recall, yes? If. Yes. Let me pause. Any questions before we? Yes. And first is either a first uh, fan of this was, and then over to the switch, and then she's getting this threat. I this threat. Men were to pray. And during the time, as Legion recalling Ted's new Sandflat, maybe while one patches father wars and sending the Satan, I wanted to go deep with the press. She's in that place when you can not talk in there. And the Holy Spirit of the world for her. And that's all when she's brave. She's not even saying and fan, but this all listening. Yes, amen. I love that. So there's a there's a relinquishing almost, right? Like she's present and still and just relying on the spirit and the spirit just steps right in, right? Just just steps right up. And and um and sort of take center stage on the on the prayer. I just thought about the um almost like the relay example, right? Hannah's still on the track. She's still on her lane. She's still ready to go if the baton comes back to her. But right now she is just fully present, right? Seeking the face of God. So yes, thank you for that. Um, so I wanna, I wanna look at um, verses 10 and 11 from, from two angles, okay? Um, and we'll read the verses in just a minute. Actually, let's read them first. Let's go to chapter one, verse 10. Um, are we there? Yes. Amen. She was deeply distressed, as Jonathan just said, and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Verse 11. She made this vow. O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and remember me and not forget your servant. I'm in the NRSV but will give to your servant a male child, then, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants and no razor shall touch his head. 12a, as she continued praying before the Lord. Verse 11, one more time. And she made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, 
but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. So I'm going to look at this verse. There are literally these two verses from two angles. Hannah, who is forgotten, and Hannah, who is full of faith. Okay? Hannah, who is forgotten, and Hannah, who is full of faith. And the if plays in both. Okay? So let's, let's lean in. Stay with me here for a second. So let's talk about the forgotten Hannah first. The forgotten Hannah, her heart posture is rooted in despair and quite possibly doubt, okay? Rooted in despair and doubt. We talked about doubt being a spiritual attack, right? Satan loves this, loves doubt to reign, loves doubt to be present, okay? And so the if could be read in this way. Let's go back to verse 11. She made this vow, Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. This is Hannah who a part of her feels forgotten by God. God, I've been praying this prayer for years. We've been coming here for years at the appointed time, right? And I'm still without a child, okay? But then also there's the Hannah whose heart posture is rooted and trust, faith, and the S word, surrender, surrender, okay? The hand of that hands it over, that defers to the sovereignty of God, okay? If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet your will, not mine, be done. Write the words of Jesus again from Luke 22. So it creates space for the sovereignty of God, trusting that God's plan, God's will is what's best for me. And if I had to make an argument, I would argue that Hannah's if here is one of faith and surrender. Why? One, because Hannah has made progress to get to the point where she's even praying, right? She's made her way, she's pressed her way to the house of prayer. What does that mean? That means she is seeking the face of God. To put it differently, she has gotten proximate to God. She has drawn near to God, still crying, still in despair, but she is in the presence of God, right? And there's something about coming close to God. There's something about being in the presence of God that makes a difference. It makes a difference. Pastor Karen got to that in her sermon, right? It makes a difference to seek God, to get into the presence of God. So not only has she made progress by getting uh, proximate to God, by coming close to God. They remember that song, Come Close, by Common, featuring Mary J. Blige back in the day? Come close to me, baby. Let your love hold you. I know this world gets crazy. What's it without you? And Come, come on now. Come on now. Let the arts minister to us, okay? Come close. 
Let your love hold me, God. I know this world gets crazy. Take out the church clothes. Oh, okay. <laughs> take off my church clothes. <laughs> I know this world gets crazy, right? I'm being provoked sore by this other wife. What's it without you? Hannah has determined to come close. She gets proximate, right? She gets proximate to God. She comes close. Check out the song if you hadn't. Just let it minister to you. If you come close, common and Mary J. Blige, back in the day. So she comes close, but notice her language. In the NRSV, she consistently refers to herself as a servant. And she addresses God as Lord, O Lord of hosts. There's inherent uh, deference there. There's inherent reverence for God there, right? The word servant is used one, two, three times in my translation. And she leads by addressing God as Lord. Not if you are the son of God, but Lord of hosts. And, and calls herself servant. And so in this way, Hannah has left space already for the sovereignty of God while she's making her request. So there's an inherent surrender there. There's an inherent trust there, right? And so that if has created space for God's sovereignty, that ifs has created space for God's will. Lord, if you choose to, not doubting who you are, but if you choose to, okay? And also, she's fasting while praying, and we know there's power in that. I, I, I could go on, but these, for these reasons, I believe that Hannah's if is one rooted in trust and surrender and not one rooted in despair and doubt. And even if despair and doubt is where she started, when she uh, sought the face of God, when she comes into the presence, something happens, just like with Jonah. Remember Jonah, that fulcrum till at 6b, chapter 2, 6? Hannah, her if is rooted, I would argue, in trust and surrender, okay? She goes to the tabernacle. She seeks God's face. She draws nigh unto God, right? She comes close to God, and God moves even closer to her, right? Draw nigh unto me, and I will draw nigh unto you. Come on, friends, because I'm Bible readers. Hannah encounters God and she keeps on praying. Last point, she keeps on praying. Even after she makes her request, even after she makes her vow, she keeps on praying. Further support that she's in a place of trust and surrender. If you doubt her, you're just going to keep, keep on praying? You're just going to be like, well, if, if, if you can, God. She keeps on praying. She stays close to God. She stays in the presence of God. She keeps on praying. Okay? And so this vow Hannah makes is very similar to the vow that we saw Jonah make, right? Jonah made a vow to God and delivered. Hannah makes a vow to God. And she delivers, right? She delivers. So Nazarite, Let's look at that for a second real quick. Both men, and, both men and women could take the Nazarite vow, um, according to Numbers chapter 6, okay, like the first 20 or so verses, if you want to reference that. Um, they were to consecrate themselves, yes. Um, no sips, 
No sips of the grapevine. No sips of grapevine products. Yes, no sips. Consecrate yourselves. No sips. What else? No razor can touch the hair. They were to grow their hair long. And also no touching a... Yep, good, a corpse, good. No touching a corpse, right? And what's interesting to note is that the vow could be opposed upon another by someone else. Isn't that what happens here? Hannah imposes the vow on her not yet conceived, not yet born son, yes? And actually in the Bible, the imposition of the vow onto another is often how this appears, right? Who's another um, Nazarite in the Bible? Samson, right? And an angel of God, right? Imposed that vow on Samson, okay? And so um, it's just something to note, but this vow Hannah makes, she makes it on behalf of her not yet conceived son, which is another point. I know I said I was done making the points, that, <laughs> that she is trusting um, God and she has surrendered and she has faith. She's vowing on a son who's not even conceived yet. Not that he's conceived and hasn't been born, not even conceived yet, okay? So she's surrendering her request to God. She's vowing in a way that shows that her heart posture is rooted in trust and surrender. She holds loosely her request and then God delivers. Now, some of you are wondering, well, how come we're not talking about Eli? Listen, Eli, that could be a whole nother lesson. There is much to say about the interaction between Hannah and Eli. I want us to focus on her story, not his story, her story, okay, today. Um, and maybe we'll come back to Eli and Hannah and that encounter and that exchange because I do think it's critical. But today I wanted to focus on Hannah and God. God delivers Hannah and Hannah then delivers on her promise to God, right? I got a card from my mom. My family has a real strong card ministry. So I get a lot of cards in the mail from my mom. I send cards. My grandmother, my grandmother used to send cards. My dad used to send uh, care packages with cards. Uh, hilarious items were in his care package. It'd be like copies of the Denver Post, uh, spot remover, you know, flaws, like, you know, things that you need, but you just don't like think to put these things in a care package. So I got this card from my mother, and I will never forget the language. She ended it, she ended her note with the words, and watch God deliver all. And watch God deliver all. What? I mean, I read that, I, I must have read that card, I don't know how many times. And watch God deliver all. It is within arm's reach from my bed and watch God deliver all. So you know I had to go to the song. Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, but God, hey, Pastor James, but God delivers them out of them all and watch God deliver all. This came back to me when I read this text with Hannah. God delivers. God delivers. Like Abram, like Jonah, God delivers. God delivered back Abram's wife twice. 
God delivers Jonah with seaweed around his neck, drowning deep into the pit. That, that fish came and swallowed, deliver it, right? Spit him up on the dry land, deliverance twice. God delivers Hannah from it all, from the taunts, from the shame, whatever. Despair, anguish, grief delivers her. The power of prayer and deliverance. A heart posture rooted in trust and surrender. Trust and surrender. And like Jonah, Hannah makes good on her promise. I'm wrapping up. Hannah makes good on her promise. She reverences God. Your translation, verse 19, might say worships. Chapter 1, verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And then they went back to their home. But I like what another translation says. I'm reading out of the Jewish Bible. Verse 19 says this. Early the next morning, they bowed low. They bowed low before God and they went back home. They bowed low. The centrality of the body, not only in prayer, but in worship. They bowed low before God. They prostrated themselves before God. They worshiped, they reverenced before God prior to getting their day going. I'm sure they had a long journey. I'm sure they needed to get going with the daylight hours, but they bowed low first before they got going. And finally, Hannah testifies. God delivered and Hannah testifies. Chapter two, chronologues the song Hannah wrote. So her prayer altar, similar to Jonah's, was written in poetic line and it is a song of thanksgiving. I'll let you read that in chapter two. We don't have time to digest it. Again, I encourage you to go back and read chapters one and chapter two. But not only is Hannah delivered, but the long-awaited son helps to deliver a nation. Amen. Okay? Amen. So the thing she waited for, the thing she prayed for, I think she was like, just give me a son, just an ordinary son I could love, ends up being a prophet that delivers a nation. That anoints, inaugurates the first two kings, but most importantly, King David. Yes? So once we prayed, we should surrender our will to God's like Jonah from the belly of the fish, right? Our, hot our heart posture should be that of trust and surrender. Deliverance is the Lord's, just like in the, in the narrative of, of Daniel. That if there, I believe, was an if that was surrendered and uh, rooted in trust and surrender, not of despair and doubt, because they just walked, they just rolled into that furnace, didn't they? Right on in, right? Faith, trust, surrender. So Hannah offers us a type of prayer, one in silent, open-hearted, um, uh, a silent, um, open-hearted prayer, a posture that is, that, is, that is still trusting God in the face of delay, seeming denial, right? She goes to God, she seeks God out, she gets proximate, and then the Holy Spirit comes alongside and helps, right? So like Abram and like Jonah, Hannah lives to watch God deliver all. Yes, in the name of Jesus, do we receive it? Amen, amen, amen. amen.
Oh, Lord, our God, we are just grateful for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we're grateful um, for the power of narrative and how you cause narrative to instruct us, to teach us, to help give us insights into our own lives. Lord, I pray that we learn to pray in a variety of ways, that we do not neglect the silent, open-hearted prayer. Lord, attune our ear to your voice. Help us to have an open uh, heart, one that is surrendered to you and your will. Keep our eyes open to your way so that we may walk um, in a way where you are directing our steps. Lord, let us be careful um, and to be proactive in rooting doubt out of our spiritual lives. And help us to be careful to remember the words of Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. Teach us how to pray, O oh God. Not only on behalf of ourselves, but on behalf of others. Remember all those who are grieving, who are experiencing grief and anguish, Lord. We've had mass shootings. We've had unspeakable violence, death, Lord, tragedy. We lift all up to you. And even right now, we just pause so that this body can lift up the names of those to you right now, oh God, who need special prayer. Those who have lost loved ones, those who might be sick of their bodies, those who might be in pits of depression, despair, grief, anguish, debt, trouble in relationships, oh God, we vex all of these numbers but to you right now. Teach us how to pray, oh God. Help keep us centered in a way that keeps our eyes on you. Help us to be still and know. Help us to be still and wait. Help us to look to you with surrendered hearts. Abide with us, Lord. Uh, keep us safe as we go home and be with us as we press uh, our way to your house of prayer once again. Help us to make our way to the throne of grace throughout the rest of this week. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit, we pray. May we together say, amen. Amen.